Team Female. Welcome to the Female Political Strategy Podcast. Female first, female forward. I'm Ro. I'm Lilith. And I'm Elle. So we're coming up to the one-year anniversary of the January 6th riots, and we thought in in celebration of this wonderful event, no, I'm kidding, Um, we thought we'd revisit this by going over some of the aftermath and what has happened to the rioters since then. Like, where are they now? Take it away, Elle. Okay, so today's subject. So there was an article that came out, and um, it might be dated by the time this gets aired, but it's really relevant because I think this event shifted political tides in the U.S. and made us realize a lot of things. So the title of this is Problems at D.C. Jail Were Ignored Until Jan 6 Defendants Came Along, right? And this is referring to the January 6th riots at the United States Capitol, And essentially, just to kind of summarize for people that are, you know, in a hole, doing more productive things in their life, and they weren't tracking what happened in the U.S. on um, January 6th, it was when the certifying vote was occurring at the Capitol and the vice president was supposed to sign off on the fact that President Biden was then president-elect and Trump had lost the election. Well, Trump staged his final rally on Pennsylvania Avenue, which is where the White House is, and there was supposed to be a... It was just a last hurrah. Trump was doing a lot of rallies at the time. Last hurrah, Capitol Hill, everybody showed up. And some would say that towards the end, a few got impassioned. And when Trump made some comments about how then-Vice President Pence was signing off on a allegedly fraudulent stolen, quote, all in quotes, election, that we need to do something about it was kind of the implication there. The things that were were done. The things that were done were questionable at best. (laughs) Some things happened. That's the nicest way I can put that. Yeah. Um, So some things were done. Um, A lot of people went to uh, to the Capitol Hill. And then um, after that, there were a few people that decided that they weren't going to stop at the outside and that they were going to go inside. And then chaos ensued and... The day was infamously named the Jan 6th riots of the stolen election from then-President Trump. Wait, is that what conservatives call it? Yeah, yeah, the, the stolen election. You know, people from the South, they don't call the Civil War the Civil War. They call it the War of Northern Aggression. Oh, my God. I don't know what we're officially calling it. It's, it's just a Jan 6th situation. <laughs> Ship. We're not committing to a full-on relationship. We're just going to call it a situation. It was a political entanglement. Right. Shout out. Capital attacks is what we're calling it. So it, it got really weird in the country for a while. Like, was the election stolen? Was it not? Mail-in ballots. You know, it was, it was, it was the first time. <laughs> <laughs> it was not. Thank you, Canada. I want to say categorically it was not. <laughs> it was fair and square. Well, some, some odd anomalies happened, right? So for the first time, you had the COVID pandemic. Just to give it some context here, um, you had mail-in ballots for the first time that were widespread. It wasn't really like widely used in the U.S. You know, the, the counting was done a little bit differently and some people didn't like that. And the president was controversial. I mean, didn't Trump literally ask Georgia to be like, can you fudge this election so that I win? Like he was basically asking them to lie. I, I think we can put that um, link in the show notes for what was actually said because the recordings are out there. Um, he said, find the votes whether it's to find votes that weren't there or votes that may have not been... Yeah, fudge the election. (laughs) No, that's what it means. Like, that's what words mean. (laughs) Anyways, back to the jail thing, but yeah. Yeah, so uh, surprise, surprise, a few of these people for um, entering a Capitol building unannounced, illegally, um, unwelcome, they went to jail, they got arrested. 
Good. They deserve it. <laughs> you know, shit happens. And um, so they went to jail in D.C., Washington, D.C., District of Columbia, not a state, not well-funded justice system. So you can only imagine what the jails are like. Um, and to their horror, it was not the Ritz-Carlton. And they were not okay. No, I can't believe it. Oh, no. It's so hard for them that the jails weren't very great. Oh, poor them. <laughs> oh, it must be so hard for them to be facing consequences for their actions. Oh, oh no. Is it the consequences of my own actions? Yes. Yeah, me, the bleeding heart liberal, just absolutely, you know, heartbroken for these poor people who are in jail. <laughs> Up until now, I thought the shittiness of prison was the point. Yeah. <laughs> right? And pretty much all conservatives were on board with that, that the point of prison was it was supposed to be terrible. That was supposed to be punitive? Punitive and, and pleasant to be there. I remember when, like, uh, they used to complain about them having cable TV. That was just considered a luxury that prisoners shouldn't have. So, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene, our uh, resident capital Karen, Karen of the Capitol, of Capitol Hill, Republican from Georgia. KK Karen. <laughs> the curious case of the Capitol Karen um, visited the jail and, and I quote, later likened the rioters to it, rioters inside to, quote, prisoners of war, <laughs> suggesting that they had been mistreated <laughs> because of their politics. <laughs> So none of the allegations of neglect came as a surprise to local Washington officials, many of them who have complained about conditions at the jail for years. Still, at a public hearing this week, some expressed frustration that despite long-standing problems at the jail, it took the arrival of a small group of <laughs> out-of-town and largely white defendants to finally get anyone to care. So it, the, the jails have been relatively shitty for a very long time, right? And... This is this is a very interesting article for me. Sorry, did we introduce the article? Oh yeah, you're reading from the article here, right? Like that's not your Yeah, yeah, this is this is the article. Yeah, so we're reading from an article from the New York Times called Problems at DC Jail Were Ignored Until January 6 Defendants Came Along by Alan Fuhrer. By Alan Fuhrer. Yeah. Whom I directly responded to because the framing of this article I take umbrage with just to use a college word for a second. And, and, and the issue that I have with this article is, is that it's insinuating that it is the whiteness of these jailbirds that is the problem here, right? That because of their white entitlement, that people are suddenly paying attention to the squalid conditions of jails in general. Well, that's not true. And I think that statement and that sentiment is actually offensive, if I may say this, but to white people, because the issue isn't that they're white. It's the issue is that they're Karens. It is a sense of privileged entitlement where these people showed up from around the country to Washington, D.C. to fight an election that is being certified that day and then took action to make sure that the, the election turned the way they felt like it should have turned. So the level of like divine entitlement in this whole situation, I think, is being overshadowed and honestly whitewashed by just labeling it, oh, the white people. Because one... Because they didn't care about poor white people before. It, yeah. Yeah, it, it sort of presumes there's not already white people in those jails. I mean, are they trying to say it's now, the scales have now been tipped such that 
there's enough white people there for people to generally care? Or are they trying to say that specifically white entitlement is what's creating the demand for the prisons to change? But I think you're you're basically saying, Elle, it's just the entitlement of this specific group of white people instead of it being like a complete racialized thing. Yeah, it is the chaotic caring culture. <laughs> chaotic with triple Ks. But yeah. <laughs> The chaotic caring culture <laughs> in this specific community that resides within the right for the moment, because I know the same community does exist within the left, but that's not the topic here, and I'm not going to drag them yet. But I, I think bringing all white people into this problem is, is sort of, it, it's minimizing it. It's diluting the problem, making it a white problem, further dividing us and polarizing a problem that shouldn't be polarizing. These guys are assholes. They invaded a federal institution, the Capitol Hill, where our Congress people, our representatives, our elected officials work and threaten their lives. That's the problem at hand. And they felt like it was their duty to do so. That's the problem here. I just find it really ironic that when Republicans win an election, they're just like, our guy won fair and square. You need to get over it. Like, you need to respect democracy, blah, blah, blah. But if a Democrat wins, they're just like, oh, the travesty. We can't have this. (laughs) They act like, you know, they act like, oh, no, it's the worst thing possible ever. I just have no fucking sympathy for these people. Get over it. Our guy won. Your guy lost. Shut the fuck up is where I'm at at this point. (laughs) So... I I don't want to pull the dreaded B word here, but both sides have it because the great catastrophe. Both sides, yeah. (laughs) She just said it. Oh no. Oh no. But the the great catastrophe that was the Bush election of 2000, was it 2000 or 2001? The one against Al Gore? Yes. And we nearly like kicked Florida out of the union for not getting their shit together. The whole hanging Chad situation. What's hanging Chad? And then believing. (laughs) (laughs) Oh. <laughs> yeah, year 2000. So it was essentially, so it's like a bunch of guys named Chad were just hanging around. No, so it was um some of the ballots, uh, there's some ballots where you have to uh, punch them using like a puncher and then... A hole puncher, yeah. Yeah, hole puncher. So then like uh, sometimes the puncher didn't go all the way through. And so they were arguing that when they were scanned, that they scanned incorrectly. Yeah. And that's why Bush won the election and not Al Gore. Yeah. So we, we, we've had both. I think politicians and the political environment attracts the craziest lunatics who have zero self-awareness of the words coming out of their actual mouth, that it makes it easy for sane people of both sides to see the craziest of the other side. But, you know, last year was, or was it this year? God, I feel like it's been like three centuries, but... Yeah, I can't believe that happened earlier this year. Damn. <laughs> feels like it was like 30 years ago. That's how much... It feels like an eternity. It really does. 2021, it's been a long year, though. Right? So that that's my issue with this, is that we really need to focus on the real problem here, And we seen fairly educated, informed people that are willing to listen to other people and have a discussion need to, like, separate the Karens from the normal people. Eh, More normal people that you disagree with, right? The wheat from the chaff. And I think when you make it a white people problem, now you just offended a large majority of the United States population, and now nothing is getting solved because I don't think a lot of even conservatives identify. Most conservatives were at work that day. Yeah, this is a specific cohort of people, and then particularly they're politically connected 
because of the network they created with the politicians that sympathize with them, that makes them different from quote unquote white people. Right. And I think I kind of see your point where sometimes by making it immediately racialized, they're actually obscuring the power dynamics that allow this specific cohort of people to have a voice. And it's not necessarily just because they're white. It's because they have a specific, they have the ear of a specific uh, powerful media attention. Influential. Influential. That's probably more fair. A more influential branch of the, of the party and specifically Donald Trump, who, you know, whenever he talks, it's basically a press conference because both the right and the left are absolutely obsessed with the men. Yeah. So it's just like the visibility of them is probably outsized than their actual numbers because of their political alignment. In addition to them just being the type of people who are big enough assholes to storm the capital are not going to go to prison and chill out. And like who had the time off to take, right? So we're talking boomers, retirees, um, unemployed scrotes. Don't forget those like unemployed. Yeah. Unemployed. <laughs> that was, the, that was the deal with the, with the guy with hor- with the horns and the American flag painted on his face. The Jan sex shaman. His wife worked. He lived with his mom and was unemployed. Yeah. A bunch of those guys, like they either had wives that worked or were completely living at home with their mom or dad and just had nothing else better to do. Wasn't he complaining about not having access to organic food? Organic vegan food? Yeah. <laughs> so again, like this is a specific cohort of white people. <laughs> And they also make veterans look bad, too. And I say this as a veteran because there was a young lady there who was a military officer who had earlier, I think earlier that year, sometime within the pandemic, had gotten in trouble for her hometown somewhere in North Carolina for um, she bust a whole bunch of people up um, to the riots. But earlier that year, she was causing a ruckus in her small town because the playground was shut down for COVID reasons, and that's when they didn't really know what to do about this virus situation. And she insisted that her kids play on it without a mask. And the police officers were like, it's closed. Like, just just go home. Everybody's inside. Like, let's, let's figure this out. Work with us. Cooperate. And she had the audacity to bring up, like, I'm in the military. How dare you deny me and my children the right to use this playground that I fought for? I'm just like, lady, stop. Go home. And be a normal person. So obviously, this is not a group of Just be a person. Can you just be a person? Just be a normal person. (laughs) Just drink water and breathe air, please. Right. What was that meme of like, why can't you be normal? Incoherent screeching. (laughs) (laughs) I do want to say before we go further, I want to have a disclaimer about the word Karen, because I feel like that word is misused. It's triggering to folks right now. Define Karen. Define the term. Yeah, yeah. So to me, Karen means overbearing white woman who who is like often in like a customer service situation is very like entitled and often like low-key racist to service workers, especially, you know, people of color and stuff. So that's like the original Karen term, but I feel like that as well as phrases like white women's tears, like men have just like used that as like a blanket statement to just shit on all women, regardless of the actual context. Yeah, there's there's controversy over that especially for people of color, like validating the fact that these women exist. I mean, there's, there's so many different names from that existed even before the Karen thing took off. Cause remember there was like barbecue Becky 
and then permit Patty, and then all these women who were who were all for these calling women, the cops. Quit calling, for calling the, cops. the cops on uh, on black people, like on people having barbecues. Yeah, bird watching. Black people being happy, doing anything, basically. So a lot of the memes about white women abusing or using the cops to intimidate people of color, specifically, and also just like being absolute assholes in retail situations. Uh, so it kind of took off from there. And then now what some women are feeling like is that now you can just call a white woman a Karen to invalidate her arguments off rip. And then it's a way for them to disengage any arguments that are being made by a white woman, even if they're valid, which fair enough. I mean, guys are calling even non-white women Karens now. True. Yeah. It's now a phrase for like any time a woman has any kind of assertiveness or whatever, they're like, oh, Karen. Right. And I, I don't know. I, I firmly believe in calling men Karens too, because I actually find that. Hell yeah. They're the best. They're the biggest Karens. They're the biggest Karens. I put this on my <laughs> I put this on my Twitter and I will die fighting about this. This is why it's so hard for women to like politically organize or have any space for yourself because men will be the first ones to report you. They'll brigade whatever you're doing. They're obsessed with whatever you're doing. They'll follow you. Complain to the admins, complain to the manager, complain to the admins. That's the entire deal with why like female dating strategy is constantly on lockdown because it can't exist on any platform unless we were really, really centralized, even our own platform on the website. And even then they're trying to infiltrate constantly because men will not let women have their own shit, period. Like they feel like they're entitled to invade any space we have and take it over and make demands against our collective will. So I do feel like the Karen title for women is un- is kind of unfair given that I actually do think men by and large are bigger purveyors of this. But the Karen thing is is describing a specific type of aggression. But there's it's wide and varied with men. It's a non-binary term. <laughs> it's a gender neutral term. No, when I was when I was a teenager though, for real, I had way more shitty male customers who would complain to the manager or just be a general asshole. And I, I think of maybe I can think of maybe two women who were douchebag customers but i have at least like 10 to 12 stories of like awful male customers who are being to me like the the karen is about entitlement and having power over someone and wanting to like exploit that power for their own benefit and so that's like how i think of the karen phrase but a lot of women will think that uh, the word karen is like misogynistic or even some, some people will say that karen is actually racist against white people which is fucking hilarious to me but yeah. <laughs> Mm, I wouldn't go that far. Yeah, nah. <laughs> but um, I don't even want to touch that one right now. Yeah, that's a story for another thing. But I do. <laughs> the reason why I brought up the Karen thing is because I just want to like define our terms so that you know people don't misconstrue what was saying. Yeah, because that always causes controversy on our regular FDS subreddit when somebody talks about Karens, especially among the more politically organized radical feminist front like they're they're getting tired of being shut down whenever they make an argument and being called karens yeah it's not fair so yeah yeah but marjorie taylor green i'm fine with calling her a karen because she is one yeah (laughs) the curious case of the capitol hill karen yeah sorry i'm in the mood for like alliteration today (laughs) (laughs) but um so you'd asked me earlier what are my thoughts on jan six um so i i work within this horrible beast of the united states government and I think a lot of people, I actually almost like admire the the fantastical like imagination of conspiracy theorists because <laughs> they're, I admire their creativity and imagination. I really do. 
They assume a level of competency of the United States government. And capability. That has never... Exist. It can't. It cannot exist because the people that are fundamentally drawn to government, (laughs) a lot of people, especially within senior level politics, like there's no profit margins at play. So there's just like a lack of cohesion, collaborative environment, um, a significant like over presence of like redundancies that like we're just not as efficient and capable as these conspiracy theories theorists would like to think. And so it, it's such a stretch and it, it makes me laugh to think like the whole of government conspired <laughs> to like defraud the American people that they are a part of. Like we, we could not pull that off. And I know the people who work there. <laughs> so basically your conclusion is like, the election was not stolen because the U.S. government is way too incompetent to steal an election. Incompetent isn't the word because there's a lot of competent people. It's just decentralized. It's too decentralized for that to happen. Yeah. You could not get everybody to agree and for that email to get to everybody in time to pull off such a mass, insane like plot. If that may- And then keep all of that a secret. It just doesn't work like that. The sad part, though, is that like there are very real, tangible reasons that voting may seem unfair. And there's things like gerrymandering. For sure. And then like uh, purging voter ballots. And for some reason, people never want to use Occam's razor and just look at the simple reasons in front of them. Yep. They always create these like outsized, outlandish problems that will never be solved the cabal of satanic pedophile thing yeah (laughs) yeah it gets to the point (laughs) it's easier than that bro like look at her jet like hillary isn't like peddling around pedophiles just like they have a jet for her nonprofit organization like you're right Occam's razor. It's always simpler than you think. And it's sad because sometimes there, it, well, there was a kernel of truth. Obviously, Epstein got exposed and people have been trying to, people have been trying to expose this man for a while now. And for whatever reason, it blew up in the past couple of years. Um, but he did have an international pedophile ring, right? So it's not crazy. It's just sort of, it's the, catastrophizing and sensationalizing of like, it's like, yes, there is a pedophile ring, but it's not satanic or cannibalistic. And the way that always comes down on like one side politically is always suspect to me because I'm like, especially with men and any type of sexual impropriety, if you're talking about, oh, only like only Democrats are involved in this pedophile ring, bullshit. Yeah. There's no way, like if it's, if it's actually true, I look for the fact that there's bad actors on all sides of the political aisle because there is absolutely no way that there's like one, like there's only certain people that you politically find inconvenient that are ensnared in this pedophile ring, right? Yeah. And it's always the guy you hate. Yeah. Male sexual depravity is bipartisan. It really is. (laughs) (laughs) It is reaching across the aisle and working together. Yeah. (laughs) So I I think Americans overlook this fact because like, the mainstream media tells them otherwise like we're on your side but the reality of it is these dudes the hundred or like 400 or so of them in the house um the representative and the hundred senators are in close proximity to each other than they are to the people they actually represent right so they're Mm -hmm. they work with each other first like ted cruz sits closer to aoc than anyone else in texas right and they're donors because you need a lot of money to run a campaign. So where do you think their loyalties are? It's to each other. Why would you want to piss off your coworker? So like odds are to me that they have more in common with each other than they do with the rest of us. So like, it's hard to assume that any of them are really like our bros. They're not. Wait, has, has Trump actually like paid the legal fees or defended any of the people that marched on Washington on his behalf? 
Because didn't he just, like, encourage everyone to go, you know, send Pence a message or some, whatever the fuck he said. I don't know exactly. I can't remember exactly what he said, but it was, like, yeah, implying that you should go march on Washington. And, yeah, so did he, has he followed up on his promise to help them at all? Or what's going on with that? I'm sorry. He's no longer the president. What president? Did he? Yeah. <laughs> A lot of people there were saying, yeah, I don't know if he promised. Did he promise? No, a lot of people were saying like, oh yeah, I'm going to go fuck shit up because, you know, Trump will bail me out. And I'm just like, yeah, you're delusional. (laughs) See what happens when you make assumptions, when you assume you make an ass out of you and me. So I think a lot of that was um, fantastical thinking on their part. I will say though, like Trump's ability to make everybody feel like he's their best friend individually. So like parasocial relationship? It's beyond that. My then significant other's mother was like, President Trump asked me to come. He emailed me. I'm like, you insane lady. (laughs) I'm like, you insane lady. He did not personally ask you to come to DC. She's like, yes, he did. And I'm going. I'm like, well, shit. Okay. Uh, Wait, wait, who? So he just sent a spam mass email or? Yeah. Yeah. Like, was it like somebody from parlor or just? No, no, no. So like whenever you donate to a campaign, they just keep emailing you. Oh, so she was on Trump's real email list. I, like, assumed it was a fake one. No, no, no. It was, like, the real, like, donor email list. It's, like, the National Republican Committee, like, that RNC's um, list. So home homegirl, boomer as fuck, was like, I'm going to go. And me and my then um, boyfriend look at each other, and he was like, okay, bye. And I was like, oh, shit. His mom's going to go die, and I'm going to have to deal with this. <laughs> What was the purpose? Why was he asking them to come to the Capitol? To come rally for the rally. So he's like, I need you at the rally. We need to show our numbers. And she sent me the email. I was like, that's a newsletter, lady. Like, it's not. <laughs> that's like when Trisha, Trisha Paytas thought that, like, Mitt Romney personally sent her an email, right? <laughs> Just, it's like getting a spam email and being like, wow, this Nigerian prince, like, personally contacted me. And he really. Like, his campaign pulled some Nigerian prince shit on some boomers. Like, (laughs) they all showed out. And I was stuck in traffic trying to save this old lady. I'm like, I went to go take care of her. And now people are like, were you at the riot? I was like, well, not for myself, because that's weird. (laughs) Elle's out here being like, I did not go to the riot to support Trump. I only went there to rescue my mother-in-law. I swear to God. (laughs) Right? And like... (laughs) I was literally, like, on principle, I was, like, in the gay district, right, just to distance myself away. And, like, the evangelicals were out, the people there to save people from their own souls were there, and it was a carnival of human characters. Like, God, the the types of people that were out, and people talk about the Jan 6 riots as if there was a largely white event. It really wasn't, like... There was a very diverse population of people. You had a number of black people that were there. You had so it's basically like the pr- the kind of the proud boy demographic too, because I know a lot of a lot of the, the a lot of the proud boys are multiracial. It's more of like a ethos and a support for it's Trump. a douchebag committee. Yeah, yeah, Most, multicultural, multiracial alliance of douchebags. Yeah, so it's like all the people that couldn't make it into like the main social clubs, like the main sororities and fraternities are like Proud Boys and the female version of whatever the Proud Boys are. You know, the funny thing is, though, is whenever women do try to form some kind of alt-right following or whatever, the guys on the alt-right are so fucking mean to them, right? That's why I'm like, girl, why? Why would you do this? Like, I don't know. They all call them trad thoughts. They all, like, cyberbully them. And, like, <laughs> and you know, they're, it's, like, weird to me that, like, white supremacist women are just like, 
I deserve a right to speak and be a racist. <laughs> I don't know. They don't literally say that, but it's like, come on. I remember my my more um, Christian days where there was like controversy at the time about whether women preachers and women speakers should be allowed at like Christian events. And it used to always like kill me that these women were like these huge foot soldiers. And then they'd be like, no, but you're female. So you can't speak at any of our events, even though you're telling people the same patriarchal nonsense. So it's weird to me that so many of these alt-right women shit all over feminism and think feminism is awful and like destroying femininity or whatever. And then they experience so much misogyny and bullying for men. And it's like, hmm, if only there was a movement that, you know, was about counteracting misogyny. And (laughs) But back to the New York article about framing it through the racial lens. My only problem with this article is that it makes it seem like if you're pro-prison reform, It's like, oh, you're only doing it because white people are now being hurt by prisons, right? Like, I supported prison reform before the January 6th, all that shit happened. Before it was cool. (laughs) I supported prison reform before it was cool, okay? Like, (laughs) yeah, right? So I, I actually do support making prisons more humane in general. Like, not, you know, in... In the States, do you have a clause in your constitution about cruel and unusual punishment? Is that a thing? I don't know if it's in the constitution. Eighth Amendment. Excessive bail should not be required, nor excessive fines imposed, nor cruel and unusual punishments inflicted. That's the Eighth Amendment of the constitution. Is that okay? Yeah. So in section 12 of our constitution, we have a provision against cruel and unusual punishment. And so, yeah, I do think that like prisons in general, even for the worst people like serial killers, rapists, there should be like a bare minimum of like you know consideration of humanity yeah like they shouldn't be like starving i don't think they should be like suffering horribly the whole point of prison is just to keep them away from society so that the rest of society is safe and also just like honestly to deprive them of their freedom because that's just like a punishment that sucks but it's not cruel or unusual um but yeah so but i I don't know the stuff like complaining around not having organic food or i'm sorry but like that sucks for you but that's part of going to prison right before the january 6th rise it's like it seemed that the only people who cared about prison reform were like the black lives matter people and post january 6th it's now i guess privileged white people who are like well now that white people are in prison like now we have to have prison reform it's like this should really be like a race neutral issue because anyone can go to jail yeah yeah and in general the rates of white people going to jail have increased and the rates of black people going to jail have actually decreased in some respects. So, um, I mean, there's, there's some arguments to be made about whether the changing demographics of America has brought new light to these issues, especially things like, um, I mean, the, the hypocrisy about the drug war has been pointed out on a, by a lot of people in a lot of different mediums, but like meaning, it's now a health crisis now that a lot of the people who are getting who are becoming addicts are white versus the crack ep- epidemic, which was largely concentrated in uh, urban black areas. And that was just unilaterally criminalized. And the differences in the treatment once it becomes like a quote unquote white problem. The thing that's always difficult to tell is, OK, how much of this is like people's general disregard of black people or minorities in general and how much of this is just capitalism and how there's just always going to be a an underclass and i think a lot of the disagreement comes down to when something is specifically racist when something is functionally racist and then when something's not particularly racist that they still kind of keep imposing even if there's like a white majority on it so that's like that's always the question whenever we have these conversations about like 
policy versus race versus who gets attention, who gets political power, who gets uh, any type of focus, where money goes, et cetera, et cetera. And it's not, it's not black and white to parse it out. If you are also saying nothing's ever racialized, then you're obviously ignoring and gaslighting people when, when there are absolutely policies that are neutral on paper, but specifically coded to disproportionately affect communities of color on purpose. Simply put, like, you know, to your point earlier of um, Occam's razor, it's correlation does not imply causation. So just because race is a factor in the consequence of a specific policy, it's like, oh, wow, look who's being disproportionately impacted by this does not mean that policymakers went in with the intent. I mean, some of them do. Didn't Richard Nixon like specifically say, oh, they for sure do. The drug war was specifically to attack the civil rights movement, right? Sometimes it is intentional. (laughs) Yeah, the civil rights movement. And then also like things like the criminalization of marijuana was like specifically to antagonize Mexican immigrants, right? Like they made, they made marijuana schedule one drug on par with heroin, right? (laughs) Like, so. So we're talking about the 60s vice today, 2021, where we're having conversations about pronouns and intersectionality and all of that. So like context matters. So yes, have things happened in history? Absolutely. And I'm not even saying that like race being an issue or a factor is gone, but the context of it is very different and the reality of it is very different. And the fact that we've had a literal black president is worth noting, right? Does that mean we're in a post-racial society? Absolutely not. It, It does not mean that. But We can't compare what's happening in 2021 to Richard Nixon and the era where Black people were inhibited from drinking at the same water fountain where we had Jim Crow laws. So America's grown and progressed tremendously since then. And that's worth noting. We've grown and progressed in some ways. And then, you know how it is, it feels like it's one step forward, two steps back, maybe two steps forward, one step back. And I think there's a sentiment that, yes, we did have a Black president he came into power under specific conditions, basically like he, he basically got glass clipped, which is that the previous guy, the previous white guy fucked it up so badly that people are like, well, let's just throw a dart at a board and hope this guy knows what he's doing. What's glass clipped? Uh, yeah. So glass clipped is a, is a phenomenon. this also happened to like people like Ellen Powell. She's talked about this. They say that a lot about like women, women leadership. Yeah. Women. Especially. So it's basically when uh, a company is failing, they start looking for quote unquote, non-traditional candidates to head the company because the traditional candidates, i.e. like white men will abandon ship because they don't want a failure on their record. So they look for someone who may not have gotten the opportunity if this had been a successful company because all of the white men would have poached it for themselves. But then people of color and women are usually excited to get any opportunity. So then they take uh, hold of these failing companies and then they're expected to perform miracles. And then if they can't or it fails, then it kind of goes down on this track record that says that, oh, black CEOs or um, female CEOs are ineffective. So glass cliffing is um, arguably kind of what happened to Obama. I would argue it was like a, a case of glass cliffing. Um, and then, and also people feeling like some of the racial resentment started to be stoked again and, and led to the election of Trump. Maybe not a direct line to it, but people seeing a black president did like hankle some feathers, right? And then this entire obsession with critical race theory, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it's not to be dismissive of the idea that racism is a is a factor because i definitely think that it is it's just like 
it's just like calibrating how much and when. And that is an entirely complex discussion of which a lot of people have different opinions. So some key takeaways. Key takeaways. I don't give a shit about the Trump supporters who are suffering in jail. They deserve to suffer. Just kidding. (laughs) Sucks to suck. Sucks to suck. (laughs) I'm saying that and I'm feeling that with my entire body. (laughs) I do not give a fuck that they're suffering in jail right now. I mean, if if they were suffering like they were being tortured or if they were like starving to death or like things that I would consider actual cruel and unusual punishment then i would like actually give a shit but if they're cruel if the if their definition of cruel and unusual punishment or the fact that they think that they're political prisoners fucking lol marjorie said that yeah yeah marjorie said that they're political prisoners first of all this is an example of like i've noticed this pattern where like right-wing people are starting to use social justice language to like for reasons like I don't understand like Matt Walsh for example who's like anti-abortion was saying that like abortion is bad because it disproportionately kills black and brown people and I'm like bitch don't pretend like you give a shit about black and brown people okay right like right-wing people are starting to use social justice language to advance like right-wing shit and I'm like I'm not buying it. That's a great topic to discuss, by the way, because I have some takes from the inside for that one. I'm not buying it, right? So that's the thing. Like, Marjorie Taylor Greene, you can cry your fucking white woman tears. I don't care. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. MTG. I hate her so much. Yeah. (laughs) My key takeaway for this is um, whenever things are being whitewashed, like, look at the issue for what it is. Right. It's, It's a bunch of entitled Karens that went to jail and are upset because jail is jail. And now they're sad and angry that they didn't get, you know, they're having a temper tantrum. And so whenever you see that and you might, you may be inclined to disagree with the article and now you're completely put off, like understand that this journalist is looking to get like clicks and attention and influence. Cause that's the new market for information. That's the new market for getting paid. And that's how journalists kind of, you know, create their clout. The issue here isn't white. It, it, it's not black and white. <laughs> it's more nuanced than that. It's the fucking Karens of the situation. So recognize the Karens in all situations. Re- recognize the people complaining about this are just Karens and you can ignore their opinion. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> Karens can go, man. Yeah. All right. Thanks for listening. Check out our Twitter at Female Political and our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Female Political Strategy. See you next week. Mm-hmm.